I'm Kyle Homewood. Welcome to the Arizona Opera Podcast. In today's episode, we'll be talking about Mozart's second-to-last opera, Cosi Fantute, with a libretto by Lorenzo da Ponte. You may have thought that the Arizona opera season was over, but we're not done singing yet. Later this month, the Marion Roos Poland Arizona Opera Studio artists will do a full performance of Cosi Fantute in both Phoenix and Tucson. If you already have tickets to these performances, you're in luck because they've both sold out. If you don't have a ticket, hopefully you'll enjoy hearing a little bit about the opera through this podcast. Today, we'll hear from the studio singers on what it's like to sing this comic opera, as well as what it means to be a member of the Marion Ruspolin Arizona Opera Studio. As you'll soon hear, I sat down with our six studio singers in pairs, according to their roles in the opera. I started with our leading ladies. I'm Caitlin Johnson, and I'm a soprano in the Arizona Opera Studio, and I will be singing the role of Fiordaligi in the production of Cosi Fantute. My name is Katie Beck, and I'm a mezzo-soprano here at Arizona Opera, and I'll be singing the role of Dorabella in Cosi Fantute. Then the leading gentleman. Billy Bruley, I'm a tenor, and I'm singing Ferrando in Cosi Fantute. My name is Jarrett Porter, I'm a baritone, and I'm singing Guglielmo in Cosi Fantute and also the maid and elder statesmen that are integral in moving the plot of this opera forward. My name is Katie Jordan, and I will be singing Despina in Cosi Fantute. My name is Brandon Morales. I'm a bass baritone, and I will be singing Don Alfonso in Cosi Fantute. I started by asking our singers to give their own summary of Cosi Fantute. Cosi Fantute is about two guys who have fiancés. And in an effort to test their fidelity, they try to trick them and go after the other and report back to each other on, you know, the ongoings of their wooing of the opposite fiancé. Ferrando and Guglielmo are two star-crossed lovers, and their friend Don Alfonso makes a bet with them that their... uh, partners are less faithful than they would imagine if they were to go away and so they make this bet and the boys are convinced that their their lovers are super super faithful and so don alfonso and despina make this plan so that the um the boys leave and then they come back in disguise and their lovers who are dorabella and fjordaligi first are very, very offended at, at, you know, the arrival of these newcomers and say, oh, no, I'll be faithful to my to my man forever. But then, of course, the boys are trying to persuade them and things get a little heated. And then we'll just have to see how it ends. Yes. And Fjordaligi <laughs> and Dorabella are sisters. They are sisters. So that always, that was hard for me. The first time I saw Kuzi was when I was in high school. And I always kind of wondered, you know, did the sisters really not know each other well enough to know that the other guy was not their sister's fiance? <laughs> so there's definitely some, you know, your some reasonable doubt there is, but that's what the stage is for, right? You throw on a mustache and change a costume. It also depends on like what the director wants to do. So sometimes they're not just Turks and they're not just in 
random costumes. So for us, we've barely seen our costumes, and I think we're going to be changing into bikers. <laughs> so that will be a lot of fun because it's... I was told Scottsdale bro is what oh, I was told. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's our goal. So that'll be a lot of fun because that's obviously not what we are. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, I think it'll Something be fun. Something with a leather jacket. Around. Yeah. <laughs> A white leather jacket. And a black leather <laughs> and a jacket. Black leather jacket. <laughs> but it will be a lot of fun just getting well, to I put think... on a costume and play something different. It's kind of like Halloween in an opera. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do love that Donald Funso is a bit of a mischief maker besides him being older. He talks about having gray hair in the first number and being uh, much more experienced. Um, but he's still is playing this kind of elaborate trick on these lovers. It's it's not he's not too jaded to not take part in their lives. Yeah. I I think Despina is uh one of the earliest feminists, I feel like. Whether or not it's from real life experience or what she's perceived from others, she has sort of the know how and the street smarts um over these girls that she's the maid to. And um, I definitely think she thinks she's on Don Alfonso's intelligence level, and she maintains that until the end when ultimately he has the the last laugh because he even tricks her. In her defense, I will say, <laughs> actually, that it's, it's, Don Alfonso's a weird character in how comic it is, but yet he, he's so bitter at the same time. And I say he was jaded earlier, but he he's very active in the show, in making things happen, but he has a few numbers by himself, which kind of give the audience an idea of what's going on inside him emotionally, and it's it's not very happy. It's, it's quite mm-hmm. angry about women. So you wonder what experience he's had to lead him to this point. Oh yeah, if his motto is cozy, all women are like that, something happened in his past that really messed him up <laughs> one thing i love about the show in that idea of it being called cozy fantute and him that's his model uh, motto um is that the first thing in the show is not women behaving badly it is three <laughs> men contriving this horrible plot to trick their lovers so it, it seems like such a dissonance between what the title of the show is and what the first action the audience sees is yeah it's definitely very human in that way, overarchingly. It, especially, I definitely, of course, being a female, see the feminist side of it, especially as Despina, when you listen to her arias and when she's speaking to the girls who are really inexperienced, you know, one of the lines she says is, let's do what the men do and love for convenience and vanity. And... Yeah, in that way, it's cozy fun to tea. Everyone is that way. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree with that. It's, it's, yeah, I, I imagine the men are actually the, the worst ones in the show. They're the ones well, deceiving the... and going out to cheat on their respective spouses. And when the women actually give in, I mean, it is, there is a lot of fickleness in that, but there's also, Depending on your philosophy, it's kind of like liberating for them to think outside the box and outside of the norms of what they're expected to do. And through one lens, yeah, that's fickle and 
oh, all women are this way, but also it's definitely feminist in that way. Mozart operas are often performed by singers who are early on in their career. This leads some people to believe that Mozart operas are easier to sing than other operas in the repertory. In actuality, it's a bit of a misconception. My my first instinct when hearing, you know, the thought that Mozart is easy to sing is that it's a great place for a singer to start because it's so melodic, which makes it so difficult. Um, it's the melodies stand out so well in anything that you're listening to in Mozart. I mean, it doesn't have to be the vo- a voice, you know, a, a melody with the voice. It can be a melody played by the clarinet or something else. But his melodies are so strong and so pure and so beautiful that I think that's what makes Mozart so challenging because the legato and the line has to be there. And if it's not, then it's not good Mozart, in my opinion. (laughs) There's something about, for me, Mozart's writing in that on the other end of of finishing a production, I feel like my technique has gotten better. And I know that more seasoned professionals will say, you know, if there's if they're Verdi singers or if they're singing Wagner, that they try to have Mozart within their season at least once or or once every other season to kind of come back to it and remind themselves of where their voices are and where their technique is. And I think with Mozart, that's the scary thing is that if you don't have your technique together, it can be a real challenge. But a test in that you kind of have to get it together or it's not going to happen. And uh, I remember when a few years ago I did Giovanni and it was my first big role and it was in school and I was still learning a lot about singing. I had come from very different philosophies of what I should sound like or being a baritone versus a bass baritone. And there was something about the way that Mozart wrote that really just cleaned up my technique. And I felt like after that moment, I started to figure out how to sing. I definitely think Mozart is the hardest composer to sing. And I definitely, like Katie said, it's a great place to start because you can learn the music fairly quickly because it's intuitive in terms of, oh, I can tell this melody is going here. And it's something that you can, if you're pretty well equipped at the piano, which most of us who majored in music in college are, you can sit that it's not, you know, like learning a Berg song where you're kind of like, (laughs) Oh, where's this going? This is really frustrating. And, um, but as we learned, I think the first time I looked at I was maybe at the end of my senior year of undergrad and it's certainly come a long way since then. But the thing with Mozart is there's just nowhere to hide. So if you have not, your breath is not really lined up. It's the biggest thing is you, if you're flat or sharp or not quite in tune, especially in ensembles, Dorbella and Fiordaligi are constantly in thirds. Mm-hmm. And thirds are so clearly, if they're not right in tune, it's just so obvious. Um, and I have like a little bit of a fuller voice. So I would love to sing things like Puccini, some of the lighter Puccini Verdi stuff. And I think Mozart is harder because I can't really hide and just kind of sing into it and really indulge myself like I can in some of the later things. So it's actually really nice to 
kind of sing the Mozart stuff. And we've been working on Figaro as well. Katie is the perfect Carabino. She's been <laughs> killing it. And I was covering the Countess. And it's really helped my technique move along here in the past six weeks or two months. Because you have to get back to basics with Mozart and just sing and say, this is what my voice is doing. And it's functioning in this way. Because you cannot add anything extra. You just have to let it be and have it be what it is. I would add to that and say it's been really nice in in this way, you know, that we have Marriage of Figaro and Cozy back to back. It's it's challenging, but it's also kind of great because you're immersed in Mozart. So that style, I mean, you know, the recitative style, the, you know, the just the Mozart style in general is sort of ingrained in us right now. So although it's it's tricky to put these two shows back to back and it's going to be a lot of work, I think it's going to be a lot easier than, say, if you had Puccini or, or Mozart back to back. At least we're all kind of going through the same style at the same time. In describing Mozart's music, our singers will use some terms that may be foreign to you, one of which is tessitura. The tessitura is the general range that most notes within a particular vocal part will fall within. Another term that's used is passaggio. The passaggio is the transition point between different registers within the voice, for instance, from your lower register to your higher register. Transitioning between these registers can be quite difficult and takes many years of training to truly master. So when a particular vocal line sits right on the passaggio, it can be difficult for a singer to navigate. Mozart on the surface seems really easy, but I think it's one of the most difficult styles to sing. Um, a lot of singers will say that Mozart teaches you how to breathe and how to support your sound because you just can't get through it without that. <laughs> um, and it's actually been interesting doing Despina right next to Susanna. They're both technically in the same vocal fach, but I'm finding that Despina sits a lot lower and it's a lot, it's a bit, it's been a bit of a challenge actually to sort of recalibrate everything, um, especially in the recits. They're both very heavily, there's a lot of recitative in both roles. And to have it just sit two notes lower generally through the whole thing, it's crazy how much that can sort of change your approach to everything. Very much so and how you deliver the text. and Right. How your voice handles the text in certain tessitura. Uh, for sure, Figaro is, um, in Nozze, is a much lower sing than Don Alfonso, although it has higher notes than Don Alfonso, but the tessitura is much lower. Um, so there is a difficulty in switching to Don Alfonso in this piece, in that uh, I do have to recalibrate some things and how I say certain words to fit uh, what my voice wants to do with them uh, and to convey the meaning of the text, especially in such recit heavy characters. What I do love about this piece is uh, the different, I mean, this is what Mozart does so well, is the, in these ensembles, mm -hmm. he has people saying the same text meaning different things. He has uh, Don Alfonso in particular over the lover's laments. They have, Mozart has him laughing to the side as, which, uh, as a juxtaposition to the lyric lines of the lovers. He has a very rhythmic uh, interjections. So it, it's very interesting how he brings it all together in that way and displays everybody's different emotions at the time. I agree that Mozart definitely knew how to write for the voice, uh, probably too well. And I feel like every vocal line and every single 
art song, uh, stage aria, opera aria, whatever, is like a test that you have to figure out how to conquer. Uh, he does things to challenge the singer. Uh, again, he oftentimes knew who, exactly who he was writing for. Um, so uh, there are there are several letters, comments that he made that he was actually testing people's abilities, their range, their tessitura, if they could sing this vowel, you know, on a on a high note or something. So I think a lot of times it's just a test, and within an aria, there are probably multiple different sections of tests that you have kind of have to figure out and conquer. Uh, once you figure it out, it's a lot easier, but you have to get to that point of getting through the the piece and figuring out how it fits in your voice and getting your voice adjusted to it. Uh, but it's definitely a challenge, but it's also very rewarding to sing once you've kind of mastered that. One of these tests is the main tenor aria from the opera, Unaura Amorosa. Ferrando has three arias in the in this opera. Traditionally, at least one, or sometimes in this case two, are cut for the sake of time. Uh, but the hardest one is always kept, and it's Unaura Amorosa, which just which is Billy a, sings beautifully. Oh, thank you, Jarrett. Uh, but it is a tenor's nightmare. It is literally in the passaggio the entire time. It's in the key of A, so you sing a lot of high A's all the time, which are just right on around, for every tenor, somewhere around their turn. Uh, And it's just really hard to master because it needs to be beautiful, it needs to be uh, tender, uh, and at the same time, you has to be well-supported and grounded. And so your technique is doing one thing while your voice is hopefully showing to the audience a completely different thing um but i've i sing this opera for the first time three years ago um, at school and it was really really tough then and my voice has changed and grown over these last three years so coming back to it now it's a whole different set of challenges um but i love singing the aria it's a very much a challenge and it happens about an hour and 15 minutes into the opera so you it's all about pacing and figuring figuring it out um but again i just i look at it as a mozart test and he knew exactly where he was placing this opera literally the last thing you hear right before the act one finale starts and i i just feel like if i can conquer and master it then i've really accomplished my my goal for the for the evening another particularly challenging aria in the opera is for the lead soprano it's called come scolio or like a rock right there's a legend i don't know how true it is that mozart just really did not like whoever the soprano was that premiered for Luigi back in uh 1790 whatever it was when Cozy was 1780, when Cozy was premiered. And he disliked her so much that he made Fjordaligi so difficult to sing technically that he made 
the highs very high, the lows very low, so that the soprano would look like a chicken whenever her she had to reach for the high and the lows for the low, because I guess technically that was how she achieved reaching those notes. <laughs> so hopefully, I've worked a lot with our teacher, Daryl Babbage, who's come down, and hopefully I'm not going to be <laughs> looking like that on stage, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's kind of in an aria in three parts, so the recit starts... She's very strong, and it has that, like, it goes from a G to an E flat, so, like, big octave plus leaps, Um, and then the opening measures, it's just kind of like a hurricane, and she comes in, and then you kind of get into the the meat of the aria, there's quite a bit of runs, and then the second part, she's just kind of telling these guys off, like, don't ever come back again, get out of here. Cosi Van Tutte is definitely, I mean, it was the last of the De Ponte operas that Mozart composed. And I think it's just the best musically. It's totally cohesive. And I feel like especially these ensembles are just perfect. The act one sextet is perfection to me. Um, there's not one extra note and you're not left wanting. It's just, I think it's just so beautifully composed. With with Mozart, it's it can be tricky because the music is so beautiful and it's almost easy listening music, but finding the comedy in all of those beautiful lines that we have together and not just singing beautifully, but actually, you know, finding what's funny and laughing together. And Billy and I are always laughing, it seems, so <laughs> sometimes to a detriment, but I think that's better. Yeah, definitely makes us laugh way too much. <laughs> Uh, at not funny things, <laughs> but we've spent like Jared and I met each other last summer and have this whole year together and then have another summer mm -hmm. together. Uh, so I think we know each other's humor and we kind of know what makes the other person laugh and how to be ridiculous. So sometimes that is heightened when you know someone uh, for so long that you try to really right. Get them and to sometimes if something is stale, you know, com comedically on stage, you can change it a little bit to get them to laugh. <laughs> so it's going to be horrible for our production <laughs> because we're just going to laugh the whole time. Oh, yeah. And make each other really mad and go through all the emotions. Yeah, it'll be fun. I think it's a nice way to end our time here this season in the studio because it's definitely a great show to do with your friends mm -hmm. because 
Uh, we actually did the Act One finale in our scenes program, Scenes at the Whitcoff, back in December, and we had a lot of fun staging it. So I think it's definitely a show that's nice to do when you're really close with the cast, because it really is six kind of like equal leads Mm -hmm. so it's really nice to do with friends instead of oh you know meet these people day one start staging it kind of get a feel for each other it's really nice that we've had the whole year all of the singers that you've heard from today are members of the marion roos poland arizona opera studio the studio is an apprentice program where singers spend a year here at arizona opera working on developing their craft and also getting on stage experience Run by Arizona Opera Head of Music, Christopher Cano, the program allows singers to have additional coachings and voice lessons while also singing supporting or even lead roles in Arizona Opera productions. It's great. You get here and uh, you have an awesome staff of people at this company to work with, Uh, a great voice teacher, great coaches, just great people to interact with daily. And you're focusing on uh, your voice uh, you're not in every show. Some pe- It's very not common that you're in uh, every single show. So you have some time to just focus on your training and your technique and getting better. Uh, and then when you are in shows, you're, you know, you're, you're preparing for that as well. So it's a lot of, um, it's kind of like school, but without all of the like classroom work, just with the, the practice time and, Uh, going to rehearsals all the time and it's sometimes hard to believe that it's your job but you get to you get to go and just hone your craft every single day which is fun and then going into the second year I don't know what it's like but I can't wait it's been great it's been a place to grow and to also make mistakes um, especially at this point in our careers where we're entering being on our own out professionally um, having to take care of not only learning music, taking care of our voices on the road, um, how to approach different aspects of uh, even having disagreements with like a conductor or a director. Um, necessarily, not necessarily disagreements, but just uh, like different ideas um, and how to approach those things. So Chris is, Chris Cano has been a great mentor and uh, is really invested in all of us in for the studio. I, I think... Some of the challenges, at least for me, are the changes in roles that we get to perform. We get a lot of opportunities here, and uh, they're all can be so vocally different and so characterly, characteristically different that um, it it's kind of so it, the shift is so great sometimes. Like even between Figaro and Don Alfonso, which is still Da Ponte Mozart opera, there's a great great difference in the two and how I perform it and what I do vocally. So. But that also helps in our flexibility for now and for the future. Yeah, it definitely um, is a glimpse into the professional lifestyle of going from one to the next. Um, And I don't know how many young artist programs are out there in which you can make three role debuts, one of which being Susanna, the largest role in the repertory. I'm on cloud nine about that. Um, And yeah, everything Brandon said about just having room to grow and mess up and become our own artists and really believe in our own ideas and our voices um, figuratively and literally. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And to bring something to the table and feel like it's worth saying, you know, you don't really get that in school. 
Because uh, your director, your conductor, those are kind of like your bot. They're in charge. But it's a lot more collaborative out here. Yeah, um, it's fantastic to bring what, as you say, to the table, what we do individually as just as an individual, not just as a cookie cutter, cookie cutter singer out of college. Um, it's it's awesome to be able to, to be able to explore these things and have a safe place to do it and a very encouraging place to do it. Absolutely. I've had a really awesome season and my first season here at Arizona Opera. And this has been my first year out of school and working, which has been, I just kind of did my school. I went from kindergarten to <laughs> to undergrad to grad school, worked on a year of my doctorate last year, and then came here. So it's been really nice to come work for a company that is, is awesome and knows what they're doing as well as Arizona Opera does. And I've really enjoyed living in Phoenix. Phoenix is a great city. And I'm from Atlanta, which is on the opposite side of the country, but... I love that I avoided winter after living in Indiana <laughs> for a few years. So um, it's been really great to just kind of see the inner workings of being in an opera company full season rather than just being somewhere for a few weeks, um, which is what I've done in the past. So that has been just a really great experience, obviously being in the rehearsals as singing featured roles and then being covers in uh, the main stage shows. And then looking forward to next year, I'm really excited because in terms of my assignments, I definitely have more in terms of involvement. Um, I'm really excited to sing in, in every show but Shining Brow. So fellow travelers, Boheme, Riders of the Purple Sage, which everyone just goes crazy about here. So I can't wait for that. And then Ariadne. So I think just really looking forward to that. And being here for the second year, I think we'll all kind of have like the what's it gonna be like out of the way and the really nice thing is that all of us first years are returning for a second year and we have a really tight-knit group so that's a really good part too because when you work with great people I think that it and we inspire each other to do our best work yeah it's been a great experience being here and it is I to echo what Caitlin just said it's great to be returning to a familiar place and a familiar group as well um I've been really grateful for the opportunities I've had so far. Um, I was so excited, you know, over a year ago when I was offered Carabino because that, just as a young lyric mezzo, is kind of every lyric mezzo's dream is to, you know, get one of those out of the way and hopefully as many, if, in my opinion, hopefully as many as you can get. Um, uh, what else? I, I really appreciate that we we get the coachings that we get here and we also get a bit of flexibility as much as you know the company is able to offer um if we're not in a show at a certain time um we're able to go and try and work on auditions elsewhere competitions elsewhere as much as as possible um and i i really really appreciate about that company is that i i truly feel that they see us not just as young artists as resident artists but also as people who have a life outside of work because although this is our work and we love it, this work and are passionate about it um, I appreciate the the flexibility and the respect that Arizona Opera has for its resident artists um, yeah looking forward to coming back and and to be in a familiar positive environment for sure the schedule is such that it's really all about us and our needs but at the same time, the needs of the company with the productions. And <clears throat> from standing outside of that, that seems 
or was to me sort of a challenge in that I was concerned. I was like, you know, I don't want to get too tired. I have three productions back to back this year with, you know, minimal time off in between. How am I going to work on myself? But again, I think with being in a production and rehearsing, yeah, you're tired, but you end up on the other end having learned so much and having grown in a way that, you know, everyday vocalization or voice lessons don't necessarily teach you, even though that's what we also get here, which is phenomenal. I had the fall off this year, so that was nice because I was able to go do a bunch of auditions for when I leave here. Even with that process, it's been incredibly focused time, and I've been able to learn and grow and figure out what I need to do to kind of conquer the next step uh, of my career. Speaking of next steps, I asked each of the singers what's coming up next for them, both at Arizona Opera and elsewhere. I have a very busy year ahead. Um, I'm making debuts in all five of the productions. Um, singing Maid, in, it's not The Maid, just Maid, in The Shining Brow, um, the opera about Frank Lloyd Wright. And then in Fellow Travelers, a role called Lucy, um, my very first Musetta in La Boheme, which is huge. I'm ecstatic. Um, Bess in Riders of the Purple Sage, which I've only heard incredible things about. And we finish off with Ariadne, in which I will sing Nyad. So it's a packed year. Um, I get to sing Truffaldino in Ariadne. Uh, various bass baritone roles in Fellow Travelers. And uh, I get to sing Coline in La Boheme, which takes another tick off my list. Um, my goal is to sing all the low-voiced males in that show, and that's number two out of four. So I'm on my way. This summer I'll be at Santa Fe Opera. I'll be covering Dorabella, so that will be fun and familiar. <laughs> um, it'll be my first summer there, um, and I'll know if a few of us are going in, um, so I'm excited about that. And so I'll be covering Dorabella, and I'll also be doing the small role of Karolka in Yenefa. Um, yeah. 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 Then this July, I'll be going to Reno, Nevada, and I'll be a participant in the Institute for Young Dramatic Voices up there that Dolores Achuk runs. And I'll get to work some more with our director of vocal instruction, Daryl Babbage, up there and work with some coaches and delve some more into that Puccini and Verdi rap I was talking about <laughs> earlier in the podcast. So I'm looking forward to that. Billy and I are both back at the Santa Fe Opera as apprentices for our second season. Uh, I'm covering Guillermo in Santa Fe and I'm singing the sergeant in Boheme and doing uh, a concert with Renee Fleming. And then I <clears throat> am also doing the same concert with Renee Fleming uh, at the end of our summer and I am covering the role of Latza and Yenofa, and I am playing the role of Benjamin, or should I say creating the role of Benjamin and the world premiere of The Thirteenth Child at Santa Fe, which is based on a Brothers Grimm tale. Um, and then I come back here and then start immediately into Shining Brow, where I'm playing Louis Sullivan, Frank Lloyd Wright's mentor. Um, and then... Additionally, next season, I'm playing Bern Venters in Riders of the Purple Sage and then Brigella in 
Ariadne Avnaxos and covering Bacchus in that production as well. For me, so this is my last season with Arizona Opera as a studio artist, but uh, some things are in the works right now that I can't discuss on a podcast yet. But for sure, I'll be in Tulsa for two productions, uh, Don Cairo and Carmen and Simon Fenton and Emmeline. And then I make my debut at Opera Theatre of St. Louis as Dr. Oliver Sacks in Tobias Picker and Arie Lev Stolman's world premiere of Awakenings. Noticeably absent from this episode is an integral part of the Marion Roos Poland Arizona Opera Studio. That's pianist Michael Lewis. Michael has been extremely involved with this past opera season, serving as the rehearsal pianist for four out of the five Arizona opera productions. Both he and baritone Jarrett Porter have finished two years in the Arizona Opera Studio and will be moving on to the next important phase in their career. I want to take this moment to thank these two for their contributions to Arizona Opera and wish them the very best in the future on behalf of the entire company. I hope you'll be joining us for Arizona Opera's upcoming performances of Cosi Fan Tutte, performed by the Marion Ruspolin Arizona Opera Studio. If you didn't get a ticket before they sold out, there's much to look forward to in the upcoming 2019-2020 Arizona Opera season. These performances of Cosi Fan Tutte are made possible thanks to generous support from Dennis and Jane Fennessy. The continued success of the Marion Roos Poland Arizona Opera Studio is thanks in large part to its namesake, Marion Roos Poland, in addition to several other generous donors and community sponsors. If you wish to support the Opera Studio or other Arizona Opera programs, you can do so by visiting azopera.org. I'm Kyle Homewood, Director of Community Engagement and Special Programs at Arizona Opera. Thank you so much for listening to the Arizona Opera Podcast. I look forward to being back with you next season. Thank you.